Hey, ladies, this is Brittany Laurie with The Virtue Podcast. We are wrapping up our lessons in the book of Genesis. It's been a rich few weeks studying the first book of the Bible together in our groups and also with Pastor Greg and Pastor Jonathan on Sunday morning. This week, we're going to be looking at Genesis 9 through 11. So like all the weeks before, we have covered some large ground in our weekly lesson. So I'm just going to highlight a few things that stood out to me while studying and reading through these chapters. The first passage that we're going to look at is from Genesis 9, 18 through 23. We see here in this chapter a surprising scene considering the man that Noah was. He found favor with the Lord and was known by God at one point as the only righteous man left on earth and used by God to literally save humanity and every other living thing. But we read in chapter 9, verse 21, One day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside of his tent. What a picture, right? And not a story you would expect to read about one of the heroes of the faith. But I'm so thankful the Bible includes the stories that it does, because the men and women in the Bible were truly just that, men and women. Regular people who the Lord used powerfully and mightily, but with the same sinful nature that is alive and well today, living in each and every one of us. And their stories, the highs and the lows, are filled with rich lessons we can take heed and learn from. I think that this particular story serves as a warning to us, and it's a cautionary tale because it shows us that no matter how long we have walked with the Lord, and how far we have come in our relationship with Him, and how powerfully He may have used us in the past, until we get to heaven, there will always be a part of our hearts and souls we are fighting against. I know we have all heard of highly respected ministers and people of faith who have failed in huge ways, and it shocks us. How is this possible? But we all have the ability to sin, give in to temptation, let our guards down, and fail miserably. That's not meant to scare or discourage you, but we must face the reality of our situations and never let up or adopt the mindset of I would never dot dot dot. Our souls must always remain in that humble position of realizing and recognizing our ever need for the Lord and His daily strength in our lives to help us fight off our flesh, resist temptation, and the evil one. I'm reminded of a verse in Ephesians. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is also the first case we see of drunkenness in the Bible, and it's clear that this is an offense against God. I think in our culture today, we can make light of being drunk or not see it as a serious sin, but in Scripture, we are clearly warned not to be drunk. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 13, 13, it reminds us to walk properly as in the day, not in reverie or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust. One commentary put it this way, being drunk is defacing the image of God. That's a heavy thought. I think we can all agree and see the effects that overuse and abuse of alcohol have brought. 
It has caused destruction in many lives, family, and caused unnecessary harm and pain to so many. The consequences of one day or night of unclear, distorted thinking and actions can follow you for the rest of your life. Whatever God tells us not to do is always for our own benefit and the benefit of others, so it's important to listen and obey the things we read about in Scripture. So here is Noah, drunk and naked. We read that his son Ham comes into his tent and sees his father in all his glory. And Ham was more or less delighted to see his father in this state and was quick to tell his brothers of what he saw in a way to bring disrespect and dishonor to his father. I will note that some commentators also speculate that Ham's actions may have gone beyond just voyeurism and making sport of telling his brothers about his father's actions, but something far more infarious took place. Now, going back to Ham's reaction, now this is not the way we should behave when we are confronted with someone else's sin. But you can admit, we probably have all done this before. Especially if you had siblings growing up, we're all too quick to expose the sins of our brothers and sisters to our parents. But sadly, even as grown women, we can delight in exposing other people's sin in a way to shame or dishonor them. What is the motive behind this? Does it deflect from our own sins and wrongdoings? Does it make us look better in the eyes of others? Whatever the case or the motive, this does not reflect the heart of God. When dealing with the sin of others, we should always approach the situation in love, longing to draw our fellow believers back in alignment to God's word and law. Now, I'm not saying that we should cover up someone else's sin or never expose it, because sometimes it is absolutely necessary to bring it to light and to the attention of others but it should never be a point of gossip for us. It should not delight us to see their sin. It should break our hearts because it breaks God's heart. When dealing with these situations, our goal should always be to point out correct and help guide our loved ones back to the point of reconciliation and restoration. As we continue and read on in the chapter, as Noah becomes aware of the situation, the way his son Ham responded versus the way his other sons, Japheth and Shem, responded, he gave out blessings and curses. When Noah woke from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed, and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth, and may Japheth share the prosperity of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. We can ask ourselves as well, so why was Ham's son cursed as a result of his father's sin? It's an interesting question and observation. According to some commentators, Noah's blessing and curse could and would serve as a prophecy. He may have even seen and observed in Canaan the same characteristics and attributes that his father Ham possessed. What's interesting is how we do see how God fulfilled the blessing and curse given out by Noah that day. Out of the line of Shem came Abraham, the father of the Israelites. 
God's chosen people, the line on which God would fulfill his promise of salvation. The blessing given to Japheth was to enlarge or expand his territory and share in the prosperity of Shem. This prophecy was fulfilled when Japheth's people, who would be considered Gentiles, would be grafted into the promises of God's covenant people, Shem's line. And then when Jesus came and once and for all reconciled all who call on the name of the Lord to God, that's the good news of the gospel. And while the Canaanites, they would become well known for their rebellion against God and their outright wickedness. The last thing that we will take a look at in this message is found in chapter 11, starting in verse 1. At what time all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonian and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. We see what becomes a very familiar scene throughout the Bible. Man rebelling against God, trying to be like God. The Tower of Babel wasn't about building a large, impressive building. It was about, as J. Vernon McGee put it, they are attempting to build a rallying point for man against God. That's what the Tower of Babel was. It was rebellion against the Almighty God. We continue to read in verse 5, But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because it was where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. When I look at the story of the Tower of Babel and reflect upon it, I am both saddened and delighted. Saddened because we see so clearly the heart of man in opposition to God, defiant and rebellious. So proud, thinking of themselves so wise, so resourceful with their thought-out big plans. And yes, I'm so delighted because we see God in His greatness and glory. Ironically, having to come down to look at the structure they were trying to build up. And the confusion of language was a disruption to them, but it was also a blessing to stop them in their futile attempts to become like their own mini-gods and do things in their own way for their own glory. It caused them to break up, and in doing so, they were doing what God had commanded them to do in the first place, scatter and fill the earth. And so it is today, is it not? We find ourselves more or less in the same positions right now in the world we are living in. We may not be building tall towers, but in a different way, that is really the same, building kingdoms of our own, trying to be like God, thinking of ourselves so wise, so smart, so resourceful, and yet our God still comes down. 
He sends blessings in forms of correction and interruption to disrupt us and keep us from doing more harm. And dear sisters, we can remember this, that God's will is never thrown off by leaders of our world. His plans aren't thwarted by dignitaries or presidents or people who fancy themselves important. He is Lord over all, patiently and lovingly watching us scurry around like little ants building our own little dirt mounds. Doesn't it comfort you to know that? Oh, that we might look up and see our ever-loving, wise Father and lay down our bricks and stop trying to be our own gods and submit to the one who is truly in dominion and has absolute authority and control. I'll close with this verse in Psalms 113. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Who scoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord.